0: Today's podcast is sponsored by HelloFresh. For a total of $60 off, that's $20 off your first three boxes, visit HelloFresh.com GOT60 and enter GOT60. the game of thrones podcast the officially unofficial podcast for game of thrones on hbo i'm jim i'm aaron and today we're talking about season three episode nine titled reigns of castamere uh this is the one this is the one that everybody's been waiting for i know i have it's an average episode of game of thrones oh what what uh (laughs) i mean this is
1: one of the greatest single episodes of game of thrones yeah um it is real gut punch uh it's uh, especially if you you know like th- there's a lot of gut punches in game of thrones but you're kind of forgiven in the you know book 3 to kind of start okay well surely they're going to round into some form of the good guys winning right <laughs> um so i was a little bit spoiled for the red wedding um i want to talk about my experience with with reading it first and then watching it uh what about you cuz this was you know this is one of the last episodes before you started covering Game of Thrones semi-professionally, or whatever the hell we do here at Bold Move. Uh, what did, so I imagine you weren't really plugged into all the fan sites where I'm um, fucking minefield this season, to be, to,
0: yeah, to be no, honest. Yeah, no, I mean, but you didn't have to be, right. right? Like, the Red Wedding is such a touchstone in Game of Thrones that you didn't have to be plugged into that stuff to be spoiled yeah. for it. Uh, so I kind of knew that there were some huge deaths coming up and it's pretty easy to figure out who those might be. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, well, I went into this and I was like, I didn't know exactly who was going to die, but I knew it was going to be a huge episode. I knew there were going to be big deaths. So it wasn't that much of a shock at the end when it happened. Um, so I had, I had, uh, determined not to, I,
1: I wanted to make this podcast a show, a show only deal, um, which I think would have been a foolish decision in, in retrospect, but, Uh, I was reading on one of the forums or one of the, the subreddits, and I came across this naked reference to the Red Wedding in connection to Rob Stark and his future. And I knew I was far enough in reading the books that I knew that there was some kind of marriage alliance that he was going to be put into. And I'm like, huh, well that's a huge spoiler. Uh so I just decided to go ahead and read the books cuz like, you know, this, there's no way to do. I I've, I've since learned in 8 years of podcasting, there's no fucking way to really cover this thing and and read feedback and stuff like that mm. and, and not expect to get spoiled. So um I went ahead and when I got to the books, I guess I was a I was a, I was expecting maybe Rob to die. Uh but, ev- like, literally the entire Stark cause, like, I mean, almost- the Rebellion
0: is, is put down.
1: Yeah, yeah, this... <laughs> in this episode. Yeah, this is like Hoth, the Battle of Hoth if Luke, Leia, Han, <laughs> and everybody else we cared about yeah. didn't make it off. Mon Mothma dead. Crix Medine dead. Right. General Dodonna fucking dead. um And, and that's the thing, like, uh, in the books especially, it's brutal because, like they name like all the bannermen that are going down and dying. And mm. uh, there's a lot of buildup and like really like weird, creepy things that cat is for all from her point of view is noticing and making the, the, the dread increase and this increase and just how decisive to where, like, I, I remember putting the book down for like a week or two because I'm like, you know, fuck you, Martin. Like, what, now what? Now what? I guess wait for Danny or something? Like, it's they're Just it just seemed to be so so bleak and such a gut punch. Um, but then, of course, I kept read, reading. Right. And it makes
0: it literally the most memorable thing in the entire series.
1: And, so. yeah, no. And, and like, I, I think there's a lot of compelling evidence that this is the scene right here that made the Double Ds want to adapt the, the series as a whole. Like, they said that, like, this is the thing that they you know, in their mind's eye, viewed as the pinnacle of, of
0: Game of Thrones. Um, and and they, you can they, tell. Yeah, they took care with it. Um, we'll talk about it when we get to that scene, but it's it's a very well-constructed scene. And there's a lot of interesting buildup of tension and then release and build it, so you mm-hmm. can, like, they kind of...
1: You can you can kind of be forgiven. They try to lull you into a false sense of security several times. Like, oh well, this is the thing that Walter Frey is doing to fuck over to Starks. Oh well, this is the thing. Oh, it's this insult. It's that insult. And then, you know, when when the, when the brutal uh, what killing comes, it's 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 a it's a real shock. And I think one thing that your show does that's superior to the books is showing. You know, Actually, taking the time to have Rob give Rob a little POV with his wife, Talisa, so that it's, it's and the, you know, the whole moment about naming the son, uh, Eddard. Like, don't you want to teach yeah. Ned Stark how to ride a horse or swing a sword? I can't remember what exactly what it was. Like, that's that's they, they that's a
0: really <laughs> don't you want to teach Eddard how to lose a war by marrying the wrong woman? <laughs> Come on, Rob, yeah, don't my, you
1: by <laughs> clinging to his foolish concept of following his heart, yeah, yeah, yeah uh it's and and just like just just the sheer brutality the stabbing of talisa in her stomach the slitting of the throats how many fucking crossbow bolts rob takes the murder of Mm -hmm. gray wind which seems really get people worked up yeah you know infanticide and all that stuff yeah you know whatever i I sleep and then gray wind dies and it's raw you know it's that shaquille o'neal meme but uh, it's a great, it's it's a great, it's a great episode, and it's 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 not just the the red wedding, although that takes up a bulk of it, because there's also the twin plot of Arya being so close, yeah, right, so close to happiness and reunification, and getting snatched away, and John having to you know take a stand over uh old farmer and the you know brand warging into H- hodo like this
0: this they just really bring the thunder in this episode yeah no it's it's a really solid episode uh perhaps one of the best of the series uh and i'm I don't know. I'm ready to talk about it if you are. Yeah, I mean, I just want to say, like, it's always going to be debate, like, what's the best episode
1: of, of Game of Thrones? And I feel like sometimes, like, it's not even an absolute quality. It's, like, what season it falls in and this overall strength of that season. But, like, you know, maybe you can make an argument for Hardhome or Blackwater or Battle of the Bastards and certainly on Spectacle, but for, you know, for Gut Punch and Heart, Hard, hard to beat this episode. Really hard to beat this episode.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Hey, before we get into the episode, I want to talk about a couple of things here going on at Bald Move. Um, we are covering Better Call Saul Season 4. We just got to the hump episode. We're halfway through Season 4. Uh, don't forget, if you're a club member, uh, you're welcome to participate in our Instant Talk podcast. That happens immediately after an episode airs, where you can uh, live chat to us through the YouTube chat interface. Uh, we also are seeing The Nun tonight, a very scary movie. Set in, we're, we're going into the fall season, we're going into the Halloween season. I'm looking forward to it. Trailer got a jump scare out of me. Uh, we also are starting our coverage, speaking of HBO shows, of The Deuce this weekend. David Simon's latest, uh, the creator of The Wire. Uh, we really enjoyed season one. It uh, made a lot of noise at the Baldies last year. So we're starting our coverage of season two. That'll be on the Bald Move TV uh, thread or the uh, RSS feed feed. Yeah, yeah. Bald TV feed. Uh, And finally, uh, we'd like to encourage you, if you're an American, to register to vote. Um, If you go to vote.org or headcount.org, either of those sites will allow you to quickly look up uh, at the state that you live in and whether you're registered to vote. And that's important because... Uh, requirements to register are changing. Their deadlines, like the the deadline to register for this upcoming November election in Ohio, is the first week of October. And if you waited until the last minute, you'd be unable to exercise your rights in this democracy. So I encourage everyone to check to see if you're registered and to vote uh, this November. Vote.org or headcount.org.
0: All right, let's get into the recap. We start with Rob consulting his mother about whether taking Casterly Rock is a good idea. Catelyn thinks it's a risky strategy, but she wants the Lannisters to feel what it's like to lose what they love. So, go for it.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a nice moment because Rob kind of comes correct to his mother. Like, maybe I should have listened to you more about some of these things. Like, a lot of these decisions Mm -hmm. I made uh, contraindicating you directly led to the downfall of my house. So now I want want your approval. I want, before I risk everything. Because this is a real... Uh, crossing the Rubicon, the die is cast moment for uh as, as they both acknowledge like we either win a, a fairly decisive victory, but no by no means the war or mm-hmm. we lose yeah. like 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 and they they have like it 's very ominous like all those lion pieces like arranged at king 's landing like if they can make it back'll we'll, they 'll be uh, before they take the fortress they 'll be crushed so mm-hmm. uh it 's a great it's a it's 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 it 's a sly scene. Because it sets up the stakes after the thing that happens behind the Red Wedding. None of this stuff matters. And
0: that's, I felt this scene was a little bit tedious uh, on second watch because none of this matters at all. <laughs> and you can say that. You can go back and you can say that about all of Rob's stuff in season right, one Right, that's through the danger two. of that attitude. Yeah. yeah, but like this scene specifically, I was like, well, the planning. like Planning scenes don't matter at this point. They might have mattered up until the point where he decided to marry Edmure off, but... That now they don't.
1: Well, I'm going to vigorously disagree with you, because I think that this also adds a lot of subterfuge for viewers that are kind of caught, because there is hints that this thing with Walter Frey is really dangerous. Sure, yeah. But Rob um, planning this big assault uh, with, with the Tywin, something that might come in a finale episode, and showing Walter Frey as an obstacle that has to be overcome and not a deadly threat, I feel like is one of the many techniques they use to kind of like smooth the like like soothe the viewers so they're, they're left all the more open for the... absolutely
0: first watch it works right. second watch it's completely pointless and <laughs> boring i mean okay that's an interesting tedious. it's extremely tedious on second watch. that's an interesting point of view and one that which i do not share okay uh so we move on to rob arriving at the twins where he apologizes to walter frey and his mini girls uh walder wants a look at the woman who stole rob's hand from his daughters and when he gets it he makes some lewd remarks about talisa then he announces that the wedding will commence and they'll put this mess behind them man uh walder Frey, what a shit uh, D- He he's great like the character is a shit the actor is doing a hell of a job yeah being a shit a- yeah. and uh, i think like the two best things about this scene are Walter Frey and Edmure's reactions to all the girls. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I, I just love Edmure does so much with just a facial expression. Right. Uh in in these scenes and previous scenes, it, it's so good. Yeah, like
1: like who <laughs> I mean, who's the creepier guy? I mean and if you say Walter Frey, is it is it because he's less handsome than Edmure? Because Edmure, it's because he's more upfront about his creepiness. I guess, but Edmure sizing these girls up is pretty is also kind of gross. Um, and I just yeah, this uh, this guy plays uh, Walter Frey, uh, David Bradley. He's just really good at playing these crusty old shits, man. Yeah. Like he's 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 got a standout role as the as the I don't know, this is the school janitor at Hogwarts and Harry Potter, where he plays a similar kind of like uh, foil for the protagonists. Uh, and he's just really good at being this old, crusty, lecherous guy that has never given a fuck because he has this thing that's of strategic import and everyone's got to bow down and kind of scrape. but no one ever really respects him for that. And he just 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 really, really plays that. And I, I also like like you know, Rob gives this apology that's as good as an apology as you need expect from a king. It's very eloquent and it addresses the the wrong that Rob's done to his daughters and all this other stuff. And then Walter's one the slow clap reaction. Because cause mm-hmm. just what I was thinking, like, okay, well, that's a really good speech, but who gives a shit? Well, he's up there slow clapping it
0: uh, to, to, to to bang that point home. Yeah, um, and I think watching this scene again they really hammer home the point of how Rob got in this situation in the first place because right. when Walder Frey's up there and he's talking about Talise's firm tits and t- whatever snug fit or whatever S- yeah snug fit Rob makes a move to, like, I don't know, cut off his head, shut him up, something. He's going to fuck up this situation yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, unless his mom... And his mom has to step in and say, fuck, fucking calm down, yeah, Rob. Yeah, yeah, All you got to do is eat a little bit of shit right now, right. and this war thing is going to go a lot better for us. And if you had done this in the fucking first place... Right. Like, I just want to see a ten-minute speech, a ten-minute dressing down of Rob in the yeah. scene by his mom... Yeah. ...in front of the whole court, because it'd be fucking... What he deserves. Well, in a few hours he'll get brutally murdered. So good, that's good. that's almost as good as addressing the that There's your comeuppance.
1: I, <laughs> um, no, and like again, this is another technique where like this is such a fucking insult to to Rob's kinghood. Even you know, mm-hmm. like this is this is the kind of shit that like uh, the Mad King heiress pulled with Tywin, taking you know improper liberties with his wife, and and that that was yeah. the king. Uh, to one of his loyal uh, bannermen, one of his lords paramount. This is this is just some fucking pissant banner bannerman of his grandfather's banner uh, being a fucking asshole to the king. Like mm-hmm. it's 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 the temerity, and and I feel like that that's another thing where Rob passes the test. Uh, Frey Frey claps and says, "Let the wall, okay, cave. Enough of this ugliness. Let's let's the music will be loud. The wine will be flowing." And you kind of feel like the tension drain out of the episode and sure, i feel yeah. like uh and second watch you know contrary to your point before like i noticed these techniques and like wow they really did make a good effort of trying to you know rope a dope uh, uh the the you know the of, of, the wear their their wedding clothes over their chain mail essentially sure uh and i i thought i thought that was that was pretty good also like i really liked them showing the other thing they did is the this show showing the um the ceremonial offering of the salt and the bread and the sacred, you know, uh, the, the Walder formally extending his protection under the light of the seven. Like this is I mean, it's all like it's 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 it, this seems silly to modern eyes, Right. But like in, you know this these religion, the, these these cultural taboos carried the force of law back in the day. Mm. You know, it wasn't just like, oh, well, this is just some kind of little thing that we can set aside. And I mean, it, it, it's like as close as an ironclad guarantee that you can get. Um, and I don't know that they I don't know they really e- expressed that in the show properly to show like what a grave insult to. Uh, to to the laws and customs of the land that Frey is about to to do, mm-hmm. um, but I, I really like the you know like for Frey just cat just just adhering to the letter of the law and and saying oh yeah all your, you're all under my protection and all this other stuff and knowing full well he's going to fuck him over yeah I mean he's giving Rob a taste of his own medicine. One other question, um, do you think that? Walter Fre no, nah, I don't think so. As I said, do you think Walter Frey was trying to provoke Rob into doing something so he could have a pretext for killing him without having to violate Guest Right? Because if Rob attacks him here, right. then Rob's the one that's in, in the wrong.
0: Uh, no, I think he's just trying to stick it to him knowing that Rob won't make that move. He almost. Uh, I know. We almost <laughs> overestimated Rob, uh, Rob Stark. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Because like you know, his plan was to get the men drunk and like you mm-hmm. know, and then none of that had happened. And if if he had killed Rob, it's. I mean, I'd probably the twins would be pulled down and thrown into the Trident.
0: So, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah. All right, Dario shows Danny a back door into the city through which they'll sneak in and open the front gates for her army. Jorah thinks it's a trap. uh grayworm trusts him though, so Danny decides to go with the plan. And Baristan offers his help, but Jorah tells him to stay with the queen because he's too old to fight. anymore. No, that's not what he says. <laughs>
1: <But> <laughs> I think it'd be funny, like because uh, you, you know Dario said, "I need your two best fighters," and and Jorah steps forward as a me and Grey Worm, and and Dario should have been like, "No, I said her two best fighters," you know. <laughs> um yeah, I mean, there's a lot of. It's It's interesting, Danny. Like, you know, you start to see her trusting her advisors. Like, you know, what's Gray Worm's gut tell her about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and tell him about uh, Dario. I like that. I like Sir Jorah trying to muscle in. And uh, not Sir Jorah, rather, but Sir uh, S- uh, uh, Barristan try to muscle in on the action. And Jorah pulls the self righteous, but you're the Queen's Guard. And blah, blah, blah.
0: And- yeah, which, I don't know. It seems like. Barristan might like that i mean if he's after the queen's heart or whatever uh then staying behind while jorah goes off to potentially get killed is not a bad idea
1: right right um but yeah no i i it it it's a it's a solid plan um and it 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 goes off without a hitch but
0: let's put it that way it does yeah so we go up to sam and gilly who are continuing through the woods as sam explains how they'll get through the wall via the black gate uh which he's read about before gilly's very impressed at how much knowledge he has acquired from books and they reach reach the wall finally gilly's very impressed by that as well uh she's more impressed that she she made it there alive because Mm -hmm. there's you know an old folk saying essentially that she'll never see the wall because she'll die first literally it's a folk saying for her her
1: folk her her dad told her that um i you know sam is a bit of a mary sue i think for like like it's it's this is george martin Mm -hmm. as he sees himself and her calling him this wizard of words and sam's reaction is 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 simultaneously sweet and cringy uh i think at at the at the same time um but, yeah, like he, he just he just does a whole lot of. The, Sam's a great character because he can do a lot of exposition. That's yeah. essentially. He has a bunch of arcane knowledge that almost no one else in the realm has because he sits and he reads these old ass dusty books. And he knows about the Night Fort, and he knows where it's at, and he knows that there's a secret Sally port and all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But, no, I thought it was great. I liked, you know, this is kind of. Um, you know, a little little bit of an egrets reaction to seeing the south for the first time and Gilly seeing the wall for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and how fucking unlike just, you know, the other night she was attacked by white walker. And now here she is like Arya, so close to being what she perceives as safe. Uh,
0: we'll see if she ever actually gets through that wall. Nah, it's if it's the stories are true. It's it's tragic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen episode 10 yet. Me either. <laughs> Me either. We will have to wait and see. All right, so we go to the Hound and Arya coming upon a man who is fixing a wagon wheel. Uh, the Hound helps him fix it, punches him out, and then makes a move to kill him. But Arya begs him not to kill the man, which he agrees to, but warns her that her kindness were, will get her killed one day. And crucially, as you can you know figure out uh, from subsequent scenes, this guy is on his way to the twins with a load of pork uh, and wine. He also is the most naive man in the realm. He takes a look at the Hound and says, yep, and he's, then, he's a good yeah, guy. Yeah,
1: lift my wagon, brother. Yeah, you know, give me, uh, let, me, let me give you a hand. It's uh, <laughs> not, not, because again, the Hound is not like a, I mean, I don't know. Like if if, if this were, I mean, even Brian's a bad example uh, if, if this were, like, Rob Stark, okay, maybe he's unassuming, but this is, this guy's a monster. He's, mm-hmm. like, six foot six, he's got this hideously scarred face, he's wearing full plate armor. Mm-hmm. The hell, man. Probably hell? covered in blood. I mean, maybe, maybe this guy, his, he's thinking his best play is, like, this guy's gonna kill me, he's gonna kill me, so I'm just gonna act like he's a better man. Right, and there's hope, nothing I can do to stop it. Right, and hope his, his better angels win him over. Um. They do, his better angel, Aria. <laughs> yeah. Although uh, she concusses the fuck out of him. She does, yeah. This guy's not going to remember what his, the face of his wife looks like, but... <laughs> he could rebuild his life. Yeah. Get a new wife like Walder Frey will. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, I really liked also how Arya and the Hound both took turns just withering attacks on each other. Like mm-hmm. Arya throwing, you know, the mountain holding the Hound's face to a brazier when he's a, a, a kid... Is pretty low blow, but he comes back with, uh, you know, that the, 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 he he comes back with tormenting her about the knowledge of, uh, you know, the, the fact that she's so close to being safe, and he he knows what that 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 fear looks like and how the kindness is going to get you killed and all that. I, I thought it it's a nice duel for these two characters.
0: Yeah, and that's that's also you know coming up a little more uh, obviously in the next scene with them. Uh, But we'll get there. Brand's group comes upon an abandoned plot of land and speculate uh, that it's abandoned for fear of wildlings. And when a storm comes in, they take shelter in a windmill. In a windmill and a tower, I don't... It's hard to tell. I assumed windmill because it looks a little bit like uh, the building that uh, Egret was pointing out to you. Yeah, I mean, episode. I guess it
1: could be, like, a grain silo or something. Maybe
0: it's just a tower.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't know. But it shows, like, there's, again, here's uh, some more exposition that there's this uh, miles-wide tract of land south of the wall that uh, the the kings of old uh, gave to the, the, the Night's Watch as a way for them to kind of, like, pl- uh, farm and, and live off the land without, you know, not having to be relying on anybody for, like, donations and things like that. Yeah. But... You know everything at this stage. You know, three hundred years after uh, the the Targaryen conquest, everything is in such disrepair that the Night's Watch can't even can barely feed and clothe themselves, much less protect the farmers that and all these cottage industries that have grown up to support the Night's Watch. So it's a consequence because the wildlings raids and all that stuff. They're they're it's uh, they've all been abandoned. And, and I, I, I f-
0: think a little bit of uh, you know. Unwarranted uh, feeling of security with Mm. the wall. Mm -hmm. You know, like the wildlings are never going to get through the wall. So, what do we need to really actually protect these farmers for? Right, right. And I
1: also like uh, Asha teasing uh, Rickon about drinking blood from skulls. And Uh because there's a lot of uh, heinous shit said about wildlings right in front of Asha. It's like, oh, well, you're one of the good ones. I don't have to worry about you. Uh (laughs) Um, Yeah. And it's just all the, the foreshadowing of the storm coming and Hodor being uncomfortable with it. Uh, is is good because that tension slowly you know ramps up over the next few scenes. Right.
0: So John's group finds a man who uh, breeds horses for the Night's Watch which we kind of talked about how that goes. Over John's protest, the wildlings decide to kill the man and take his horses. John intentionally spooks the horses, alerting the man giving him time to mount one and ride away. Which the wildlings are not too happy about. Excuse me, the free folk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't don't use the wilding slur on them.
1: Uh, Sorry. I do like, the, you know, John tries to find this uh, path of least resistance, like banging his sword against the rock. Like, mm-hmm. you know, is he is he is he helping the farmer? Is he just clumsy?
0: Right. Whoops. Sorry, guys. My sword hit that rock. Yeah. It's something that you can maybe a reasonable person could uh, have a debate. Yeah. But then when he goes egret and kind of distracts her while she's got the perfect shot and then she hits the tree. I just. Uh, that's pretty obvious. I wonder.
1: I I, I, feel, I feel like I wish that John here had made a, like a, a defense. Like, look, this guy hasn't done anything to us. If you want to live south of the land, you, you know, the south of the wall, you're not going to literally be able to kill everyone in the Seven Kingdoms. So you might want to start making better tactical decisions of who you like. You know, Black Brothers, fine. Their soldiers are going to try to kill you back. This guy's just a farmer. Like, mm-hmm. we could tie him up. And then you know we'll be pat. I, I just felt like that. I, I wonder what Corran Halfhand would say from Seven Heavens, looking down and being like, "We have a way to commit to your cause, but boy, you'll stick us. You're stealing me, but you won't kill this fucking farmer."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like what? He's it, kind of like the antithesis of the Stannis and Davos thing. Like you know, for for want of this dead farmer, the whole realm's going to burn. Come on, boy.
0: Uh, maybe he's just getting anxious. You know, he's so close. Yeah. He's so close to being back at Winterfell.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and he's just, it's its also just, it's pretty tough to kill your own countrymen in
0: cold blood like that. Yeah. You know? Alright, the Hound is eating some hogs from the cart as Arya nervously overlooks the twins. Uh, the Hound tells her that she's scared that they won't actually make it there. And then Arya tells him he's scared of fire because of what his brother did to him. and The Hound makes a remark about her dead father, and Arya tells him she's going to kill him someday. Put a sword through his head, essentially.
1: Yeah, I uh, kind of stepped all over the scene in my commentary to last one, so there. That's there, all right. There you go. Uh, I do like how the thunder kind of rumbles into the next scene uh-huh. because it's uh, you know I think it's clear skies here at the twins, but it's it's the danger, mm-hmm. you know the, the 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 lightning strikes and thunder rolling behind uh, Arya's uh, swearing of sticking her sword out,
0: out through his eye and out the back of his skull, uh, and this is more just. About showing, you know, how antsy Arya is to get to her family again. Um, and, and kind of exactly where they are, right? They're within right. viewing distance of the twins. Pretty close. Right. And and they're about to head there. Uh, so then Bran questions how they're going to get over the wall until Jon's group of wildlings track the man on horseback outside of where they're staying. Hodor begins freaking out because of the storm, and Bran wargs into him to shut him up. Outside, Orel wants... John Oral wants John to kill the man to prove he's one of them. Inside, Jojen wants Bran to warg into the wolves. We go back outside. <laughs> John can't kill the man, and Egret backs him up. And the others decide to kill John for it. But Bran wargs into the wolves to save him, and John kills Oral, who then wargs into a bird, I think, which attacks John. Mm-hmm. And then John gets on a horse and rides away. That that all happens. Yeah, <laughs> um... it's kind of a. a schizophrenic scene between the inside and outside i do like the
1: hush hodor no more hodoring yeah (laughs) it's a great line um and we see the you know that uh brand you know this is um this is uh the qui-gon scanning anakin's midichlorian count and being like it's off to ch- this is his power level over nine thousand. like yeah it's
0: impossible to warg into a, a person but you just did it right
1: and the implication is like you know maybe hodor isn't like a fully there fully intact the full uh isn't at full mental strength but the fact mm-hmm. that you can do it is is very uh, very fucking impressive um yeah So, uh, but, you know, like, what, it it seems like it really knocks Hodor on his ass. You gotta wonder, like, you know, is there, is this some kind of, I think the questions you're supposed to ask is, like, is this kind of, like, a black form of magic? Is there some sort of, like, if no one can do it, what is the implication if someone can? Like, and... You know, if, if if Brand can train this ability, like, where does it go? Is he going to be able to command an enslave and enslave in a whole army? Like, that starts... Uh-huh. This, this power scaling up starts getting very scary very quickly. Like, right now, he's just shutting yeah. up Hodor, but
0: what does he do with it tomorrow? And it almost seems like, you know, that... <laughs> it's it's a pretty tropey thing, right? When the hero needs more power, they suddenly find more power, because mm-hmm. they're in a situation that requires it to get out of it. Right, uh, And that's what happens here, you know? He wargs into Hodor, didn't know he could do it, but he needed to, so he did it. Right. And then he wargs into, I guess, both of the wolves almost simultaneously, if not mm-hmm. just, like, back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, I wasn't sure
1: if you were supposed to understand that he warged into both of the wolves, or he war- warged into Summer, and then Shaggy Dog's like, alright, let's roll, and his brother jumped into the fray. They don't really...
0: I don't I don't know if they really clarify that. No, they but don't. I assumed he was going back and forth between them uh, now that he unlocked his new level of power. Right, right. It, it did
1: feel like a video game, right? Like, it's the mission that introduces the power, now you can just do it. Right. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> hey, you did it once, uh, now you just uh, hold... Uh, you just press triangle three times and you in into Hodor. Uh, Which, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. No, no. Um, I mean, yeah, no. Uh, I also... There's a there's a, there's a there's a bunch of stuff to talk to. You mentioned oral warging into the eagle as he died. Mm-hmm. Like there's a a concept in the books amongst the wildlings uh and the wargs that uh, you have this like what they call like a second life where if a, a a powerful warg dies he can choose to warg into an animal and then his soul kind of lives in there uh and what happens <laughs> is inevitably uh-huh. They intertwine, and the warg has less and less control and becomes more and more bestial, and eventually, like, you know, the, it's, it's not something you can continue to do over and over and over again, it doesn't seem like. But maybe Bran could. But maybe Bran could. <laughs> um, and it's also... Maybe, um, yeah, yeah I, th- I thought that was a, a cool little nod to that, uh, and it, uh the, the the oral is so fucked. And th- it's like Jon Snow gives him his cold smack about, like... Um, you're about to die and you can't do anything about it, but you're right all along, you asshole. Uh-huh. And then here comes war, or here comes or- Eagle Oral to fuck up your face, pretty boy. <laughs> you're not gonna, you're not gonna have, uh, you're not gonna be pretty no more for Egret. It's That's- it's nice, a nice callback to their previous fights and the conversations with Oral and Egret and all that stuff. Pretty pretty small revenge there that he gets. Uh, also, I mean, I've pretty much praised this episode to high heaven. I will say, after seeing this with fresh eyes, direwolf effects are still pretty dodgy. Yeah, like, they're okay. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's not like a scene ruiner, but I wish, I, I wish the, vers- I wish there was a little bit more reality and weight to like summer tearing out the throat of some of these wildlings. Because uh, yeah. we get to see these wolves, these direwolves, be badass so little amount of time that whenever you see them kind of in the battle, it's like, yeah, and you, really want to, you really want to see what this like, like nearly horse-sized wolf is going to do to these dudes. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least, you know, uh, I, I, and I, I recognize the inherent hypocrisy of saying there's too much Theon torture, but give me more dire wolf mauling, you know, but hey, I'm, I'm a complicated person.
0: And then, you know, John's in the wind at the end of this scene. I don't think we get back to him this episode.
1: Yeah. So. I mean, that's... And I, I really like to see, like, Tormund trying to preserve egret he doesn't want to kill her and mm-hmm. he's like why do you want to die for one of them and she he's like you know kind of like look at what's going on and she's unbelievably pissed but she just doesn't she she doesn't she doesn't know what to do mm-hmm. uh she can't bring herself to like i really thought in that scene even though i've seen this before i really thought in that scene that she's going to loose an arrow at john yeah, yeah. uh and because, we you know, we she's not infallible. We, she took a shot at that farmer. I think she tried to hit him and just a tree got in the way. So, mm-hmm. like, I, I was kind of surprised that she. But that just shows the depths of her affection and how shocked that when push came to shove that he chose his duty over uh, his woman. Yeah, she overestimated his loyalty to her. Yeah, for sure. Lots of overestimating of Starks and and their qualities in this episode, (laughs) or
0: under underestimated his loyalty to the Night's Watch and the South. You know, that'd be the positive way to say it. The North part of the South for Egret. So Dario and Jora and Grey Worm make their way into the city. They are found and attacked by quite a few guards, but they're able to fight them all off. Except a whole bunch more show up. They surround them, and the scene ends. Yeah, and you're meant to go. Uh oh, what's their fate going to be? Yeah, a pretty cool, pretty good action scene. Uh-huh. I thought there was the choreography
1: is real strong. There's a there's a couple patches where it's a little stagey. Like I caught Dario yeah. bl- back blocking with the sword about a second and a half before a dude's attack came in. That uh-huh. was a little like maybe 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 is that the best? Is that in the twenty times I had to film that? That was literally the best one you could find, uh, editor. Uh, apparently so. But yeah, no, I uh I, I quite enjoyed it. Plus the th- the three different uh wildly
0: different fighting styles. Yeah. I really love Jorah's move to finish off the last guy. Yeah. The kind of double sword block yeah. thing and then yeah. gets behind him and Yeah, no, there's
1: like there's a distinct like um you know, Jorah's more of like a, a brawler, like, you know, he'll be willing to absorb a few hits to get the killing blow. Uh you know, uh, uh, Dario's more of a whirling dervish type, and then you know the the spear and shield combo of Gray Worm. It was all it was all very interesting. Um, yeah. And it's just, I'm just at the edge of believing that these three best swords in Danny's army can defeat what felt like a million dudes, especially <laughs> right. if they're, it's a
0: slave it's army, like right? So eight-ish it's, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And it, is their
1: heart really in it? But like, I, I remember thinking, you know, when the next horde came in, it's like, oh, okay. There's no way they can take them. Right. Yeah. But apparently they didn't have to, so as, right.
0: we'll, as we'll soon find out. Alright, the Stark Army fights outside while the wedding begins. Uh and when I say fights, I mean like play fighting. Yeah. They're just having a good time, yeah, yeah, celebrating. Yeah. Uh letting off some steam essentially. Then Edmir is presented with his bride, who is actually quite a delight to him. Turns out the phrase the are capable of producing the odd smoke show. Uh, apparently. Yes. They clean up nice. Yes, it's, uh, it's, it's
1: a good thing that a woman's value is judged solely uh-huh. on her looks because, man, she a- could and be. Her, and her weight, if you're Ruth. She could be, yeah, she could be stupid. <laughs> Dumb as hell, or clingy, or bitchy, or whiny, or lazy as fuck,
0: or trashy. But Edmure doesn't care because she's easy well, on the eyes. Well, let, and... let's just say the first <laughs> thing you're going to notice about her is probably when they unveil her, right? That she's just the not. Looks, got the... I mean, you can't tell if she's stupid or lazy or right, whatever other negative quality she might have. But she's good looking. She so... doesn't.
1: She doesn't got the f u f f, the fucked up fray face. <laughs>
0: the infamous Wester-
1: Westerosi fuff that you, that the the every
0: lord fears when in a marriage alliance with the phrase uh so yeah they get married I, I did think it was funny that he gave he clearly gives Edmure the prettiest of his girls right. just to spite rob like like you can see it he's looking at him throughout yeah. the entire ceremony going uh yeah, uh, yeah and, uh, like, it,
1: and and if there was a little like and, and it'd just be a bonus to give Rob, like if there was like a little fight between the two because she cut, that'd be even a bonus in his eyes. Yeah, I also really like the blackfish during the ceremony yes. catching the fray girls catching his eye and he's like Ugh, this, this wedding party. <laughs> yeah, when the garter gets thrown, he's uh-huh. just going to run. To north beyond the wall, he doesn't want to be anywhere near where in the bouquet or the garter or the garter lands.
0: Yeah, it's good, and and I mean Edmure is doing so much with just a couple of glances here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so is the guy, you know. So is Walder Frey. So is Rob. Like everybody's doing really solid work without he, really any yeah, dialogue. C-
1: Kat's wry look at her brother as he's sweating. As uh, f- uh, Frey's bringing down his daughter. The withering look that Walder gives to Rob. uh... There's a really good ruse, some really good ruse work in this uh this episode.
0: Yeah, it's, but this scene and then at the at the yeah, very like end. Yeah, like he's just
1: very knowing. Yeah. Uh and his dealings with the Starks here, which on second view is 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 kind <laughs> of delicious if you go into like really good villainy. Yeah. And I do. I do like I do like some some good villainy.
0: Then we go back to Bran who realizes that he can control animals and perhaps people at will. Jojen says that shouldn't be possible, but uh it's apparently is. Bran tells them that he saw John and Asha and suggests that they head to Castle Black. Instead, uh he tells Asha to take Rickon to uh the last hearth, where the Umbers are at. Mm-hmm. Uh and she agrees to that. Uh even though Rickon doesn't really want to leave his brother. Uh she's able to kinda sue them and take him away. Uh big mistake, Bran. Big mistake. I know Bran doesn't know this. Mm-hmm. But maybe he needs to, like, work a little farther into somebody who can see what's up with the Umbers. The Umbers are not exactly friendly. We're, or at least we're not sure if they're friendly at this point. Yeah. That, that, After the chopping of their their father's head. Oh,
1: see, you're you're confusing the Car Stark's with the Umbers.
0: Oh, fuck. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So,
1: no, the Umbers are okay. like that. He was the guy who uh, uh, Robs Wolf bit the fingers off in the first season and said oh my lord my king's meat was is 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 pretty bloody tough you know cuz uh, he uh, might not be happy about that yeah and then the umbers are like renowned for being amongst the most stalwart of the uh, mm-hmm. uh of the uh, uh stark bannermen so it's it's a pretty good gotcha. plan to take him there yep. uh, the only thing i did would criticize the scene a little bit is I, th- I felt like they made asha a little bit over over, I mean, you know, like, yeah, I guess they've taken her in and they've done all right by her, but she's still been a captive slave of their household. And I felt like the whole, you know, take care of him. She he means the world to me was a bit much. Yeah, a bit much. I didn't buy it from Asha. Like, I think Asha a good person, and that's why she's taking care of this child. Mm-hmm. Um, And also she wants to be safe from the White Walkers. But like, you don't have to gild the Lily like that. Asha, have some pride in yourself and. Some some rightful hatred for the oppressors here.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess that part of it has never quite made sense to me. Like this immediate kinship feeling she has right. with
1: Bran. And that's that I think that's where
0: this weird plastic
1: concept of time in the series where simultaneously you're supposed to understand everything that's happened in the entire series has been in like the last six months but also it's taken three years of real world time the children so you can kind of like hop on both feet of that opinion like oh well asha's asha's clearly been doing this for years and she's going to appreciate his stark qualities but also like yeah but she was just like a wild thing ready to slit their throats three months ago what the fuck mm-hmm. uh and that that a lot of time works well in the show's
0: favor all right let me go back to danny who's getting nervously impatient when jorah shows up and says that the slave soldiers surrendered rather than fight for their masters uh jorah seems pretty disappointed when she asks about Dario, who promptly arrives behind them and pronounces the city hers it's, it's a little bit of an owl licking the titty
1: roll moment where danny's like uh how long does it take to sack a city? And it's like, that long. That long exactly, Khaleesi, because here comes Jora. Yeah. And Jora's face, when Danny asks, and what of Dario? What of the very hands- unconventionally handsome and, and nether region moistening <laughs> Dario, <laughs> Sir Jorah? His face just, like, it's so fucking womp, womp. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. God, this guy. This guy. This guy. Uh, set your sights lower, Sir Jorah.
0: Come on, come on now. What is Jorah? Jorah's never given her a city. Come <laughs> on, what has Jorah ever given her? Grief, giving her grief yeah. and guff is what he's given her.
1: um No, I, I, I like that. And Dario looking badass as hell. He looks like fucking. He's covered in blood. He looks dangerous as hell. He looks hot as hell. In my opinion. Uh, there is some disagreement with me after my anti or my pro Dario rant of, of 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 last week that we'll consider in a spoiler section. <laughs> but uh, him yeah. presenting her the city's banner, I thought was a pretty nice moment, and also just like, yeah, this is where you this is where you concede to the better man, Jorah. Yeah, he's just out.
0: He's just outdone ya. He's younger. He's, he's younger. Maybe better. I don't know. It's I'm hard not, to tell who's I mean, better looking. I, I, but he's given her a city. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah you for couldn't sure. do that for
1: sure. I mean, you know, Danny is like fourteen. She's going to go for the 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 guy who looks like he's the lead singer for Guns and Roses over oh, yeah. over the guy who looks like he ran a Victorian era or Edwardian era newspaper on <laughs> Downton Abbey. Yeah, Dario
0: could be in One Direction. I don't know about Jora. <laughs> not <Yeah>. Jora. <laughs> All right, uh, the revelry begins at the wedding reception. Everyone except Roos is drinking. Walder and Rob jointly begin the wedding, uh, the bedding portion of the ceremony, uh, a bedding for the wedding, and the bride and groom are carried off to their chambers. Uh, Talisa tells Rob that they should name their baby Eddard if it's a boy, and then the doors are closed behind them, and ominously the band begins playing the Reigns of Castamere. I'm going to to stop it there because there's a, a minor scene of Arya and the Hound coming up. Um... But it's it's very ominous. I mean, the end of that scene should tell you that something is fucked up here and bad things are about to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't. I, I don't think you play the Lannister theme song at the Stark Frey wedding unless bad shit is about to go down.
1: Yeah. Um. But there's. But here. Again the showrunners did such a good job of completely dismissing all of the tension like, at the beginning of the ev- scene absolutely ev- everyone is having a good time uh cat is talking to her beloved uncle about you know their mutual like love for this idiot you know brother's nephew of theirs mm-hmm. um you know, there's the, the droll story of Roos Bolton marrying one of the Frey daughters. Uh, and he for picked her the, weight and silver. For her weight and yeah. silver. So of course, he picked the fattest one because Roos doesn't give a fuck. Right. You know, Roos might be an actual vampire. Has she, uh, has she
0: made you happy? She's made me very she's, rich. She's <laughs> made me
1: very rich, exactly. Um, and then there's a little bit of, like, you know, Talisa taking shots at... Cat, but not really. It's, I you know, Rob interpreted it as that, but I think that you're, there's no woman in less need of rescue than your
0: mother is actually high praise in this society. Mm. Um, and this very sweet scene about naming the baby Eddard. Yes. Uh that that's great. I I really
1: like that scene a lot. Right. Yeah, no. And cat like looking on and pleased that all this is 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 working out. Mm. Uh and it's it's just great. Like you have 5 solid minutes of like warm glow in your heart if you're a Stark fan. And then that's about to set you up for the uh-huh and the door swinging shut.
0: Yeah, it's it's super ominous i love the end of this scene yeah it's uh
1: it's 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 pretty it's pretty bad uh no so like i again um i i really like the heart and the emotion that they brought in a uh to the to the tv version but there's unfortunately some things that i just don't know that would even play on screen like the the i the the idea that that cat has been like questioning why the band is playing so poorly and out of time, because you come to appreciate that these are not people that play instruments. They're just, they're mercenaries that are pretending to play like badly. And they're, you know, to to be deployed. It's like this. He
0: really packed the packed the jury here. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, there's, there's, there's just a lot of these things that like just these subtle things that like make everything seem wrong um Hmm. and they do a little bit of the stuff like i really like the reveal um of you know Roos wearing his chainmail like that's the and then his like kind of smile to her Uh, and the immediate
0: slap from catelyn
1: yeah and that's how that kind of sets things off but like i yeah it's 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 really great because right up to this moment if you if they did if you fell under their spell you had no fucking clue not just again, like I said, I kind of knew something bad was going to happen, but I was not expecting a total one hundred percent defeat of yeah. uh, the North. It's not just Rob's army; it's the whole no, fucking it's all his North. bannermen, the the heads of all the houses, the rest of like the the only thing he's the only people got left is the leaderless Karstark, two thousand mounted uh, knights that 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 are you know treasonous, and they went they went away. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like there's nothing left of the fighting force of the North now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah.
0: That's a total defeat. Uh, but it, it all happens after this moment with Arya and the Hound, where they arrive at the gates, but they're turned away, and Arya sneaks off.
1: I, I like the great, you know, the the because it starts with the doors being shut, and the rains of Casimir, and then Grey Wind is outside whining because he knows something's yeah. wrong because he's got the animal senses, and... There's a little bit of humor here where mm-hmm. uh, the hound's like, I got pork for the... He's like, oh, there's no feces. Well, I got pig's feet, like... Oh yeah, well, and, and there's like because
0: earlier he said this is the best part of the pig, right. and he's trying to entice the guy. Yeah, and
1: there's and there's like a three second like stupid look this guy gives him where you're like, is this going to work? Is he going to Jedi mind trick with the with pig's feet? And the guy's like, are oh, you soft in the head? Get uh, out of here! Yeah, it's
0: it's it's pretty. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. It's great. Uh, so then the the final climax of this episode happens. Catelyn senses something isn't right. And she figures out the Ruse has betrayed them uh, And slaps him across the face A battle breaks out inside as well as outside As Talisa, all of the Stark Bannermen And the Direwolf outside is killed uh, Outside, Arya sees the death of the dog And tries to run to help her family But the Hound, realizing it's too late Knocks her out and carries her away from the danger uh, Inside, Rob crawls to his dead wife Catelyn takes Walder's wife hostage Begging him to let Rob live Walder doesn't He has Rob killed Catelyn kills Walder's wife, and in the chain reaction, finally her throat is cut.
1: Yeah, this is the last time Cat will be able to be this wretchedly naive or optimistic about something that's going to cause like, you know, letting Rob's not walking away and Rob's not walking out of this hall. He's got like no, no. five crossbow bolts sticking out of him. Yeah and um there's a lot of great stuff in here that because i said there's a few things i like that the book did better in the general kind of building a creepy atmosphere but the scene that they give walter frey of him like not nervously drinking but like he's fully committed but even still even a guy as 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 walter frey kind of quails before just all of this bloodshed and violence and like this ripping of a pregnant woman's belly open. And like, he's like go gul- like nervously not, not again, not, n- that's not the right word for it. It's like what, what little, what little left of his humanity is being sandblasted away by this. Yeah. Uh And, and, you know, also I think there is some real fear. Uh, Cause like in, in this society, can any man like be totally dismissive of the gods? Because, Regardless of what Tywin has promised you, you are you are what you are just fucking lost. Like this is the worst of the worst taboo you're committing and yeah. in, in particularly treacherous, terrible way of doing it, too. Um, and like they, they give that the Walter Frey that moment as a villain that like even he is shocked and kind of taken aback by what he himself has wrought. I thought was a great grace note for his
0: character and makes you makes makes him that much better of a villain absolutely uh and i gotta say the final shot of this scene is one of the most morbidly beautiful things i've ever seen yeah like the way they they give catelyn a moment of just like pure fury and anguish and regret and she screams yeah and they just linger on it yeah for a good five ten seconds before someone comes up behind her and Matter-of-factly cuts her. Well, throat. it's just
1: like she and she reflexively cuts the 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 fray girl's throat because I guess she swore before the gods that she yeah. was going to do it and like but it's it, the scream kind of like uh, peters out because she just has yeah. got nothing left. Like she is like she has been completely cut off.
0: Like it's it's weird that she's she's already. It's like she, her throat's been slit before it even gets slit. And Rob had that moment not seconds earlier when right. Talisa was killed, right? Right, Because exactly. he stands up and he's like, mother, this, yeah. this is over. Yeah. As if to say, this is over. Yeah. We have made our bed. This is us lying in it. Yeah. Uh, and... And almost like, I'm sorry, in a way, too. Mm-hmm. Like, this is my fault, and I apologize. But it's all in his face. You can yeah. see it. No, yeah. And uh, his fault, like, you can see that, like, simultaneously, not only that, but you can see that
1: Kat sees the little boy that she gave birth to, and has nurtured and loved this whole, and, and been very proud of, just moments ago. Like, yeah. she was at one of her happiest moments, uh, and now she lives to see the last of her sons that she thinks uh, taken from her. Mm-hmm. And it's it's yeah the emotional payload is is impressive and what's going inside the hall I think was matched well with outside like the Aria, you know trying to she sees Greywin and there's the opportunity and I, I guess that's one of the other quibbles I, I this is definitely um, a more of a gut punch but uh, the Stark loyalist in me would like to see Greywin gotten out of that pin and like uh, you know take a bunch of Freys and Bolton's with him <laughs> sure. But the way he's that he's, you know, that's this is very emblematic of like, you know, this is this is all of Rob's strength, um, both in his men and his own vital energy and mm-hmm. his his his, his direwolf that he's he's bound up. It's all being destroyed, and Arya is just so close to being able to make a difference here or there. And once again, she she sees Grey Wind, she goes to free him, and she gets halfway there, and it's 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 over before it begins.
0: Yeah, and at the end of this episode, I'm left with with the words that Catelyn herself says at the beginning of the episode, which is let them know what it feels like to lose the things they love. Yeah. And that, that describes Catelyn to a T The at, Lannisters at the end of this episode, are just
1: way better at it than you are. Yeah. And the moment of gray wind, like, you know, Ari and him like locking eyes as he dies. It's just, it's a great, it's, it's, it's a great moment. It's mm-hmm. a great moment. Um, and then, like, I, I I wonder if there's anyone that bought the whole, like, hey, I've taken the young... I, I feel like this is a moment just to add the wretchedness of cats situation, that, like, does she would think that this would work? And when Frey finally says, like, well, I'll just get another. Did, was there a fan in the fandom that thought, oh, God, this is... There There will be a floor. There will be a floor.
0: It's not just going to be an empty black pit that we fall in forever. No. I don't think so, No, either. I mean, everybody, everybody knew that Walder didn't give a shit about any of his family members. it's more
1: of just adding that extra bit of humiliation to to like i said it's her last opportunity to be foolishly optimistic yeah. and and try to make because you know how many times has she done this like forced jamie to pledge his honor to get back her daughters and the, all these other things she's done and it's, it's you know and 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 this is her this yeah this is this is the, as hard as you can fail in the game of thrones
0: yeah that's the end of the episode. Today's podcast is sponsored by HelloFresh. For a total of $60 off, that's $20 off your first three boxes, visit HelloFresh.com slash GOT60 and enter GOT60.
1: Now, HelloFresh is a meal delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients that you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. It's delivered right to your door in recyclable, insulated packaging. And I got to say... I was worried when I got the last box because it's been hot as blazes in the Midwest here. It was a 95 degree day, and my front door faces full sunlight, and I got there. <laughs> And I got there late. It was like seven. It was a late night. And, and I'm like, oh, God, none of this stuff is going to be good. I get it open. I crack it open. It's still all good. It's yeah, all. F- and half the ice is probably still
0: in the thing.
1: Yeah, it's like it's unbelievably well packed. And the other yeah. thing is like every damn thing is recyclable. Mm-hmm. Every bit can be broken down and recycled, um, which is really cool because there is a lot of packing material. Uh, and, you know, they have something for everything. Hello Fresh has uh, three different meal plans you can choose from. Classic, veggie and family. Uh, You can rediscover the excitement of cooking, Uh, enjoy not having to plan dinner, spending money on takeout for an easy night or worry about gathering ingredients week after week. These meal plans a lot of times are one pot. They take 20 to 30 minutes to to cook and prepare. Uh, It takes at least that long to get in your car and drive somewhere and get back yeah uh and it's it's nice, and that's the thing like I do the majority of the cooking in my house, and the most of the drudgery is planning the thing coming up with new ideas like it's nicest to follow an easy followed uh, follow uh, plan and direction uh it's simple and convenient. Like I said, there's a lot of one-pot recipes
0: for speedy cooking and minimal cleanup. Yeah, because that's the easily the worst part of cooking, in my opinion, is the cleanup. Mm. So, like, making that super easy. The one-pots are probably my favorite recipes that they do. They... You just, like, throw in some ingredients, cook it, throw in some more ingredients, cook it, and you clean one pot. We're, we're, we're the yin and yang. I hate the planning. You hate the cleanup. <laughs> right. Uh, There are many benefits.
1: To s- we should get married. And then, then I can do you can all plan the planning. all the meals and yeah. I can clean them all up too uh, bad you're already married uh <laughs> well you know there's always utah uh there's many benefits to subscribing so you can keep enjoying hello fresh week after week get out of that recipe rut and start cooking outside your comfort zone by discovering new and delicious recipes in each week's box jim
0: what's your favorite meal it's i think it's the one pots for the most part Th- this one is not a one pot but it's easily my favorite taste wise is there uh they, they have this chicken and couscous recipe that has like this dijon mushroom sauce mm-hmm. that i really really like
1: i mentioned uh a couple times before that like i really like their poblanos and pork tacos mm-hmm. and there's like one of their all-star hall of fame recipes and i'll be damned if it wasn't in their box yeah. this <laughs> last time i wonder if they were listening oh they know it's 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 so ridiculously good uh, again, for a total of $60 off, which is $20 off your first three boxes, visit HelloFresh.com slash GOT60, that's GOT60, and enter GOT60. That's like receiving six meals free or huh. up to 50% off your first three boxes. Again, go to HelloFresh.com slash GOT60 and enter GOT60, that's GOT60. Uh, so we've been talking this episode about the reigns of Castamir. I'm here to talk to you about the clubs of Baldemir. Mm-hmm. Go to club.baldmove.com and you can find out all of the extra content that you're missing out. Not only are you missing out on supporting Bald Move, and 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 why don't you want to? Like, you know, you, you, you've you've clearly been listening to a lot of our podcast. You're subscribed to our feed. Uh, you know, help us out. Help us. Help us make this sausage. Uh, go to club.baldmove.com and see. Not only do you get—it's not just altruism. You get a lot of bonus content. You get a lot of extra access. Uh, you get a lot of extra features. You can and, and you can try all of these features out by going to club.baldmove.com. We've got samples of all of them, just free. Just check it. Out. If you haven't, if you haven't checked that, at least go to club.baldmove.com and look how goofy looking we are. Because uh, you can you can take care of that. And then if you want to get your credit card out and sign up, you get a free 30 day trial. Uh, conceivably, try the whole thing, kick all the tires, check it out. Support Bald Move. Go to club.baldmove.com. We have feedback. We do, as you can imagine. That's shocking. Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. Uh, <laughs> Melissa's up first with some non-splitter feedback. Hey, just listened to your show for Second Sons, and I heard you wondering about how closely matched Joffrey and Sansa's outfits at Tyrion and Sansa's wedding were. I think it's very intentional. In this video what she includes and I will include in the show notes for those Don't interested. click it it's a Rickroll. <laughs> uh in this video she explains how Sansa's dress design is never going to give you up. And no, how Sansa's dress <laughs> design uh and reads an interview right from the costume designer Michelle Clapton. Um her idea was that Cersei and the Lannisters did, had designed the dress. It has embroidery with a direwolf and a trout to res- represent her parents. Uh then a direwolf tangling with the lion wearing a stag crown. Finally, there's a big old lion head at the back of Sansa's neck, the Lannister's way of saying, you belong to us now. Her dress tells a story similar to how the astrolabe in the opening credits tells the story of Robert's Rebellion. Hmm. There's actually a lot of hidden imagery in the costumes, like Joffrey and Cersei both wearing fabrics that have patterns made of daggers. Uh, She also mentions the same channel has videos on most of the costumes, if that's something you'd like to check out. So I'm going to include the video... Uh, in the show notes if you want to click through that and look at the other videos in the channel if that's something you're interested in i i did watch it and it is i mean it's i love shit like that no, like I'm, so cool. I'm the guy's gone through all the special features on the lord of the rings blu-rays and to, like i think when you can get everyone on fully on board of production something magical happens where stuff this every frame just drips these details that they're 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 a mile wide and a mile deep. Like every little nook and cranny, every carving, every rune, every stitch tells a part of the story. And you know, it, it, it's it's stuff like this that makes me really impatient for shows that are just half ass stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like what in today's day and age of the golden age of television, why the fuck do you bother with shows that are just all right? Mm-hmm. Shows that are just kind of okay. Like, why not go for something that's got this much fidelity in it? So, thank you for sharing uh, that with us, Melissa. Let's get on to Jeff. Jeff wants to know why does Stannis want Rob's dead so badly that he would burn a leech in his name? I know he styled himself as King of the North, but I feel like it's just a rebellion against the Lannisters. It seems like if Stannis were to take the throne, Rob would be good with that. He doesn't seem to want to turn for himself and only wants revenge for his father. I also always got the sense that Ned and Stannis aren't necessarily friends, but do respect each other's honor and nobility and wouldn't just kill his son without take talking to him demanding his fealty. Okay. I wonder do you know do do you have an idea? Do you have a, do, do you know the answer to this question? i was going to give you first I don't know crack if there, there is an answer. Uh no. Okay. Um it's my understanding that Stannis is an all-or-nothing kind of guy. Uh, and it's also my understanding that Rob is in a political situation where his Bannermen will will not accept a return to the Starks being Lord's Paramount of the North. They want their King of the North back. They're, hmm. Their Targaryens, their dragons are dead. You know We're going to take back our proud lineage that stretched back for millennia until the last 300 years. And so you've got a guy in Stannis who... Is just is just genetically incapable of compromise. Like the idea that like okay, well you can be the king of the north as long as you've been the ne- like like there's there's no way Stannis will come to an accommodation, and there's no way that Rob can abdicate the throne without you know becoming a political pariah. So it's like one of those things where you're right, and that's something even I think Stannis makes a point to Cat in season two, like you're your husband backed michael he was the first one to back my claim to a throne and now your boy has raised his banners and he's in a, he's he's an and declared himself king like that's a personal affront to him so it's just i think stannis is personal and robs is political but they're very much uh destined to the 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 butt heads if if the leech burning doesn't doesn't work hmm. um now
0: did it work that's that's the million dollar question. Or were the or were the wheels already in motion? I mean like,
1: I think you're I think if you look back at this season that every I like to think that every time we walk in on Tywin writing long letters at his desk that he is, you know, reaching he's he's making entries to Roost, he's making entries to... Because he can see like he can see the, the, the way the board is situated as well as Rob can and what the natural play for Rob to do. Like I I, I I wonder how much like like really how far this goes back to being architected. Like I would believe that right from episode one that, that Tywin's already scheming and and manipulating and maneuvering the end the to that, that we got. Which means, of course, Stannis burning the leech didn't do shit. Right. But on the other hand, if you believe in royal blood, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So um, Jane W. says, this is slightly off topic, but I had to tell you, I just got back from seeing Peter Dinklage in a musical version of uh, Serrano de Bergerac uh that's definitely how not how that's pronounced but you know the one with the guy at the long Cyrano knows. yeah uh oh right I should have had you pronounce it uh adapted and directed by his wife Erica Schmidt it was in a small 200 seat theater and I got to see him crazy up close sometimes I wonder if tv movie stars and actors are really that good or if it's just Hollywood magic but I'm here to tell you that this guy tore up every scene right up it's incredible how talented he is And for what it's worth, his character is a soldier, and at one point, the army marches north to fight in a battle in the snow, and they win. So I'm taking that as an overall good omen for Game of Thrones. (laughs) Um, I tell you what, uh, if if you're not able to see him in a small, intimate 200-seat theater, I highly recommend you see the movie Station Agent. If you want to see Peter Dinklage set a fucking movie set on fire. Mm -hmm. He's very young and very early in his career but it's just a like he he's got a couple uh, moments in the second and third act that uh he really generates a lot of like pathos and pain and it's it's brilliant yeah he's he's a great he is a great actor um jay i realize that season three episode nine is really known for the red wedding so i get maybe why other points of discussion could be missed i like to discuss for a minute the scene where Jon won't kill the horse breeder and is ultimately outed as being a man of the Night's Watch. When the fight first begins, Bran intervenes by taking over Summer, and it appears that Summer kills at least a few couple of people. But what happens then? This brings up a bunch more questions like, once Jon got on a horse, did Bran slash Summer run away? Did the surviving wildlings even see Summer because it seems like they would have? Was there a conversation afterwards among the wildlings like, hey, did you see that giant direwolf? That was pretty crazy, right? It just seems funny <laughs> that Direwolf gets involved and is gone without a trace. Uh, he's not wrong, right? Yeah. Like, these are giant, near-the-pony-sized wolves mauling your, your, your fellow wildlings, uh, or excuse me, free folk, and nobody acknowledges that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just it's a really shocking thing to happen.
1: Especially John, uh-huh.
0: who knows about and would probably recognize his brother's... I mean, I, if not, at least it's a weird enough connection that he go, hmm, that was b-
1: because interesting. Because again, like direwolves being south of the wall is something that's like it'd be it'd be just as likely as us going out into your front yard here in southern Ohio and seeing a fucking timber wolf. Mm-hmm. It would be like like even if you didn't, and then if it just so happens that your brother had a timber wolf. Like you know, it's 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 weird that they that 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 happened, but I guess you're supposed to understand that the way it was staged and in the chaos of the battle that maybe people didn't notice,
0: um... or at least didn't like keep track of it long enough. But get, damn, I mean. One of my major concerns in a battle involving direwolves would be where the fuck is the direwolf <laughs> at almost right, all times. If right. I'm not being actively attacked by a human, right. it's where
1: is that direwolf? Right, right, yeah. Because I don't want any part of that direwolf. Right. I have no defense against this direwolf. Um, yeah, no, it's uh it's 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 uh,
0: it, it's a little bit of an issue. Also, I mean, if you really wanted to get to John, couldn't he have just like warped into the horse and brought John right back to the tower? True. Horse minds are notoriously difficult to work Are into. They? Yeah, they're
1: <laughs> really intelligent creatures. They have hooves. They're so, like, you know, like, it's, it's so alien. Just grab you know? that
0: horse by the brain and lead it back. Yeah, That's yeah. what I'm saying.
1: I think I will say that, like, if I was going to say an additional criticism on top of this one, that I thought that the scene, that this, this whole combat scene at that tower is very difficult to see where, the, like, like, you know, the the hallmark of really well shot action is you should always know where you are, where the combatants are and where those are all in relation to the battlefield. Yeah. And good action scenes ne- you never feel like you are out of place or like, whoa, I just jumped over like I, I, I just jumped over my own point of view and now I'm backwards and I don't know. and And this was shot in a way that i found pretty confusing mm-hmm. like i think a little bit be- careful more careful staging and editing and maybe some of these questions would have been answered like there's a low wall that the, the, the that that uh, the brand used to sneak up on the guys and drag them behind or something i i don't know i don't know but i think that a lot of the criticism is just that it's not necessarily a silly idea on the face of it and the answers are probably there it's just that it was shot in a confusing way that it's 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 it's, it's hard to see uh that is all the non-spoiler feedback okay okay uh so we're in the spoiler section now uh we still have we we didn't we didn't get any more theon theon torture scenes nope
0: uh let me ask you this we do get one more in the finale right I mean, maybe. I know that sausage scene is coming up oh, where, where Ramsey's eating sausage, but I don't know if it happens that, this season.
1: That could be this or it could be uh, uh, episode one, season four. Yeah. Um, I th- so I think that maybe we don't have a too much torture, but we have a torture pacing issue. Like... It's clear to me that if our torture counts at five or six now and we're in episode nine and we haven't really moved. It's like, why Why didn't they do like every other episode, go cut back to the Dreadfort and see what's happening? I don't think it's I don't think it's necessarily important that the majority of the torturing happens before we get to the Red Wedding. Because I, I do feel like that they're like the, the first half of the season, the first five episodes was, was super torture heavy. And if they paced that out a little because like. They do have to tell the story of how they break this man because they're not going to be able to like they do in the books put you inside Theon's head uh as Reek and have you slowly realize this broken the, the you know almost mutant person is Theon Greyjoy. So they have to they have to show how physically broken and mentally broken he is and yet I know a lot of people myself included were critical of how like Jesus Christ like I get it. I get it. Maybe they could have paced it a little bit better. What do you think?
0: I don't know. I I think it's a tough thing to do because, like you said, we need to understand that. Mm -hmm. And and how do you do that on a television show where you have to show people what he's experiencing and, and show people what he's thinking? Yeah. And it's... I mean, if you don't go back to him over and over again, you probably wouldn't believe that he would be psychically broken. Right. So... Right, because that's I, the thing. I don't know. We I don't we're, know. we're trained to see, like you know that, uh, and this
1: is a false view. But like heroic people can withstand torture, and if they're tortured sure. once or twice, then you know then the, the the good guys come and rescue them, and they're right as rain. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the double D's knowing that, Know they'd have to go the extra mile to be like, oh, this isn't just a run of the mill. This isn't Arnold Schwarzenegger getting tortured in True Lies or whatever. This is like some some really brutal shit going on. And yeah. then, yeah, you can't with, without being able to reveal an, in, in the interior of a character's mind, all you have is the things you're doing to them and and what that's, you know, and, and then, their
0: reaction to it. Yeah. And it
1: wasn't just like steady torture it was also like Ramsey torture the guy and then h- give him hope and then torture the guy and give him hope and torture the guy. And then, you know, sexually service him and then torture and cut off I don't know. I I honestly feel and I feel like it was a little bit much, but I don't have nearly as strong opinion as I did uh, as I thought I would have it by the end of this this season. Um, Other thing I want to talk about is Arya versus the Hound. Arya vows to put a dagger through the Hound's eye socket. Do you think that that's actually going to happen?
0: In the final season? The Hound's been no, on her prayer list for I a long time. I don't think so. I really don't think so. I, I think in their travels, they get to know each other a little bit better. And I I just don't feel, I guess, at the end, that animosity that they have at the beginning. So Arya becomes a little bit more like the Hound and the Hound becomes a little bit more like Arya? Yeah. Hm. And especially with, you know, where where they have the Hound now. Like, right. I, I think he's a much better person in right. general. Right. So, no, uh, I don't see it happening. Yeah. Um, plus,
1: like, the Hound, I mean, he might die in what I think, you know, is going to be something that, that I'm not going to say it's nibbett. It rhymes with the plebane coal. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so I, I, I don't know. But that's something I thought was striking, that she's making this promise. And, like, man, now that everything's happened, I wonder. I wonder what she'd do if she got him dead to rights. Um, also, the other thing about, like, no one... Um, uh, no one can warg uh, into humans is certainly not something in the book In the prologue of I can't remember if it's feast or dance. I think it's dance. They introduce us to a character who in like desperation wargs into one of his fellow wilding woman hmm. women uh, as he's dying and uh, it drives her insane. She starts ripping apart her face and uh, he has to flee from that body into a, a nearby wolf. But I wonder why they made it like a brand only thing in the book or in the show. Is that just to r- further sell the because cause, cause that just muddies the water. Like like it it really, the the it really sells the idea that Bran is like special. He's the chosen one. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I think that's what they do a lot of stuff for <laughs> to show how special Bran is. Yeah. Because it just it just because it... uh, I think it's like one of the reasons they cut out a lot of the warging from the other Starks, right? And and right. that like explicit link to the wolves mm-hmm. uh, is to make Bran more special. Yeah, and like I, I honestly think now that I've seen the show
1: that I don't know when the double D's decided they're not going to do any of this complicated shit, but I think it's pretty clear that Martin has got this warging uh, science worked out just so you'll understand how Jon Snow can survive his resurrection and be psychically intact in as opposed to like uh Cat Stark or as opposed to Beric Dondarian mm. uh that he's going to warg into ghost his full consciousness and he can re-warg back into his resurrected body and then he he's essentially it's like ghost's is refrigerator theory but the double D's are like yeah fuck all that we're just going to have him be resurrected and pay lip service to he's been changed but really he he won't be
0: right just just like Beric. Like, yes. Ber- Eric loses parts, but he's not, like, psychically changed And they at all.
1: jettison, like, yeah, that's the reason they, uh, they jettison Lady Stoneheart, because everything that would muddy the waters of Bran being this uniquely powerful green-seeing warg tro- chosen one mm-hmm. is being eliminated in favor of uh, of that 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 clarity. Yeah. Uh, okay. A do more you have
0: an- pure version of the hero's journey.
1: Right, right. Do you have anything uh, that you'd like to talk about before we get on to the spoiler feedback? No, I'm ready. Okay. Okay, up front uh, is Shaka. I believe I heard Aeron asking what the bastard names would be in the Crownlands when you were discussing Melisandre and the leeches. I'm pretty sure bastards in the Crownlands at least in King's Landing are named Waters based on the Blackwater. I'm getting this from a feast from Crow, a feast for uh, a feast for Crow when Cersei appoints someone named Arane Waters to the small council and I remember that being the explanation. Hmm. Yeah, I actually looked and like uh I don't know, it's very hard for me to memorize all these things, but bastards in the Crownlands are Waters, bastards in Dorne are Sand. Bastards from the Iron Islands are called Pike. The north, of course, is Snow, as in John Snow. In the Reach, the bastards are called Flowers. and the Riverlands, they're called uh, Rivers. Stormlands are called Storm, and the Vale of Arryn is Stone. And Westerlands, where the Lannisters are from, are Hills. So, uh, Shaka also has a simple question. If there is one character who has been killed off that you could have back in the show and not screw up the storyline, who would it be? for me it'd be tywin i know it it would ripple out and make everything different but i would love for him to
0: still be in king's landing (laughs) when danny finishes finally returns with her full force yeah i just i would love to see the battle between like a superior force that danny has and a potentially superior mind that's what's tywin's answer
1: for dragons it's kind of like yeah uh, it's kind of like lex Luthor versus superman that should be a route but lex Luthor's a super genius and maybe he's got kryptonite
0: (laughs) right right no, that that's a really really strong one. Um, uh, I, I mean bringing back Ned would be awesome just because he's Sean Bean. <laughs> that would just that flip has the whole story table right, over. Right, the rippling consequences there make the show not possible. <laughs> I think the best for me
1: uh I I bring back Berenstain Selmy. Ah, okay. Cuz I don't think his death is that important. He's not mm-hmm. dead in the books and he actually has a really badass duel with uh, someone that came to like uh, a assa- you know to, to try to assassinate the the queen or I, I forget exactly but but he he kills this uh this pit fighter with uh, uh, you know with his with his uh old Kings guard ways and it's just a really badass scene uh, and he did have a little bit I mean he went out like he he went he, he died with his boots on uh like like an old warrior should but I feel like you know, there's just a lot of nice scenes between him and Danny talking about the good old days of Tar- Tar- Targaryens. And he's just such, uh, you know, he's one of the last of the good Kingsguard. And now he's serving this virtuous queen. Like, I think it would have been a good. I'd love to see what what Barristan would would say to her and the council. Like he would have been a good foil for Tyrion because Tyrion's all mm-hmm. real politic. Barristan still believes in, in the I- ideas of, uh, you know, uh, chivalry and and righteousness and justice. And it would have been a nice counterpoint to, to that. Because, like, she's not getting a lot of that from uh Var- from Varys and Tyrion. But then again, I guess that would also take a lot of what she's getting from the Jon side of the equation, too.
0: I mean, I can think of a lot of characters that I'd like to have back, but yeah. I, I think I can do one better than Tywin, and that's Oberyn. Because then you get Tywin, too. Yeah, right true. And then the ripples. Because Oberyn's such a good character, it would... Potentially have some some effects on the really shitty Dorn stuff that we see in yeah. the following seasons because none of that would be necessary. Uh, Tywin wouldn't die most likely. I I feel like Oberyn might be my number one choice because he's a he's an awesome character.
1: I wish I had the Winds of Winter so I could see what Dorn's plan what what his evolved plan is going to be for Dorn because Dorn's such a hot mess. But man, I really like. Uh, was Julian Bashir? What? No, that's his character name. Alexander Siddig, DS Nine character name. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I really like his take on on Prince Doran. I thought he was impeccably cast. They yeah. just didn't fucking do a damn thing with him. And, uh, and I think
0: that saves him too, right? If Oberyn doesn't die. Uh well I don't Cause, know because doesn't Alaria want him to go avenge Oberyn's death and he right, refuses and, he and so and she does she takes him and, out and, and he never gets to his give his fire and blood speech they
1: give that to Varys a season later and such, such ugh I wish they man I wish Dorne just ceased to exist after Oberyn died if, if that's what they're gonna do with it. Right. the other one like I I really enjoyed the character of Roz. I think she mm. is just super good looking and she I liked. There's very few commoners They're in this, the Game of Thrones that you can mm-hmm. see like like it's it's a way to understand Varys's rise by seeing her rise. And like I was really excited, at the idea of like, oh, they're taking her in a direction of being his like lieutenant and that that would be, you know, that 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 would be super fucking cool to see her like being tootled under this, you know, the master of, of spies and whispers. Uh, so I, 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 I miss Roz as well. Um, And she was... I thought thought they struck her down just as she was getting interesting. All right. That's pretty good. Pretty good consideration of that question, I think. We'll move on to Ryan J. I've been thinking about the maneuvers between the Lannisters and Tyrells through season three and how they repeatedly use marriage to tie up alliances or help control alliances. However... Did both Tywin and Elena miss the greatest marriage matchup possible by not wedding each other? (laughs) Both are shrewd, move best behind the scenes of power, knew how to play the game and potentially outplay each other. Best of all, both knew that in the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. A marriage alliance between the Tywin and Olenna, coupled with the wedding alliance of their dre- grandchildren, would have been given both families control of Westeros. Olena's friendly overtures to Sansa could have helped secure the North post-Red Wedding without forcing further wedding alliance, knowing that the Tywin's deal with the Boltons would mean military control of the territory anyway. Sansa could have been shipped off to the Reach as far from the North as possible and remained there until such future time as she may be needed." Why does the devious knot bump uglies with the decrepit?
0: Uh, because, <laughs> hey, it's gross. It's gross. I don't want to think about that. B, there's nothing gross how- about Diana Rigg. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's not her. It's the age. It's just the age of a human being mm-hmm. at that point. Nothing, nothing good happens there. Uh, B, how much does it really change? Because like this, this, This dynasty thing. Right. Like without the marriage of Joffrey and Marjorie. What is what does Elena get out of that? That's the thing. And and if you're gonna do that too, then why do the first one? Why do Tywin and Elena? Because the important thing is Joffrey and Marjorie. I, I will say that I think you're supposed to understand in the
1: books that Tywin this is another example of Tywin's hypocrisy, the fact that You know, he hated his his father's softness for, you know, women. And he hates Tyrion's whoring around, yet his wife dies. And the reason cited for him not remarrying is the fact that he mourned his genuine love for Joanna Lannister. And also the fact that he shits on Tyrion for enjoying whores, but then takes a whore to, you know, as Tyrion finds out, he's been a hypocrite all the time. Him forcing his children in these loveless marriages even after like in the Cersei's case she's been through a fucking reign of terror with Robert Baratheon already and he himself his wife died young he could have remarried and used his own like he's a fucking badass he could have he could have re- married his own damn self to to help the family dynasty and he chose not to that's 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 the interesting hypocrisy of tywin he can see with 2020 vision everyone else's fates and how they but he has got a giant blind spot when it comes to himself and he also does and his his bitterness and resentment over Tyrion blinds him to his his child's qualities like it's the uh, tyrian's arguably the best of them yeah um so that's, that's, but I don't think that's a flaw. I think that's, well, it is a flaw. It's a character flaw that makes him an uh, interesting and believable villain. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't, I guess I don't have a problem with, you know, like, yeah, but I, I, him and Olin are, are way too old by the time the Game of Thrones comes out, but there's a legitimate argument 10, 15, 20 years ago, why didn't he do that? Um, and 30, 30, 40. 30, maybe. 30, yeah. Uh, because he's a hippo. Well, everyone's younger <laughs> in the Game of Thrones. Like, I think Tywin's, okay. like, in his late 40s or early 50s or something like that. Yeah. No one's as old as they look. Ons. Um, someone asked in the Second Sons podcast why there are no clockwork mechanisms for locations north of the Wall. The way I understood it, the opening credits were meant to be the um- Am... Armory, huh, armillary spears within the citadel in old town so the maesters wouldn't have any real knowledge of what's north of the wall it'd just be there be ice dragons there hmm. i don't know why i buy that like i get it that they might not know where like specific wildling settlements like Hardhome would be but like the the night's watch knows about the fist of the first men and they know about uh, the frost fangs, and they know about the river. Like the, absolutely, they would at least know where Craster's Keep is. They would know about uh, uh, the Fist of the Northmen. I, I don't know. Like it's not like the Maesters don't know or believe in anything north of the Wall. And like any human knowledge that people possess, they too would possess. They fucking have a Maester at the Wall.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like there's no way they don't know about that stuff. So I think it's still a little bit of a cop out. Although it's the best. It's the best cop out I've heard. Um, any thoughts or should we keep moving on? Keep going. Andrew E. Hey, guys, just want to respectfully disagree on your take about old Euro Dario versus the new one. <laughs> personally, and we had a lot of takes, some from women, this one from the man, uh, a man that I enjoyed and I'm, I'm going to read it. Uh, personally, I've always loved the second Dario much more uh, because, first of all, he's much, much, much hotter than Euro Dario. <laughs> Secondly, in lieu of the edge uh, that uh, Eurodario had, New Dario brings an endearing boyish charm and swagger that lets me buy his romance with Danny. Ah. He's the hot young buck, and though I might not. Boring. Might not, <laughs> and though it might not be all that's what's in the books, for me, the performance works. I never bought Eurodario, mostly because of that hideous wig they gave him. I'd sit and stew in the tub long before getting up for Eurodario, but New Dario could get it all and then some. Hey. I disagree with you, brother. I think Euro Dario would be the one that
0: I'd let stew in my tub. Uh, I mean, Danny's I, a teenager; she's going to go for the bad boys, and they, and new Dario is not a, not bad, a boy. bad boy. He's, he's new, not. He's a uh, more of a teddy bear than a bad boy. And I agree. Like, here's the other thing: is
1: I kind of agree with your take on the wig, but I feel like that's the showrunners trying to play up the flamboyishness, the flamboyantness of the book Dario. Like, yeah. they can't give him a purple fork, beard, and gold teeth, but they're going to give him, like, some weird braids and shit to show that he's different. He doesn't have sex with property, unlike mm-hmm. all these other Philistines that he associates with. I Yeah, I mean, clearly, this is a subjective difference. Everyone's sexual taste in people is different. I'm just saying,
0: I feel like Euro Dario is a lot more interesting. Let me throw this possibility out there, yeah. that new Dario might actually have been... Uh, perceived to be sexier and more edgy had he been given the material that Euro Dario was given. Hmm. Because Euro Dario gets to walk in and and say all the sexy lines, right? Be, like, ah, yeah. you you can't make love to a slave. Right. That kind of stuff. I uh, beauty. D- d- here's the city for you, my queen. Like, yeah. that kind of shit. New Dario doesn't get that because old Dario already did it. You're right. New Dario
1: is kind of just stuck being the lovesick, person to get spurned by danny for right her her dream her destiny
0: so Um, maybe if he's given that material we'd view him differently i don't know
1: yeah i don't know either uh andrew uh says also as a point of clarification old dario is doing quite well for himself uh he so i talked about him being cast in a transporter which was true Mm. but he's also the principal villain in the first deadpool movie which turned out to be the highest-rated, uh, grossing, R-rated film of all time. Then last year was cast in the Hellboy reboot, directed by Game of Thrones alum director Neil Marshall. However, after his revealed that the role had been cast, uh, he had been cast in was Asian in the source material, mm. making this a whitewashing casting. He very publicly and famously left that project, which got him a lot of goodwill from the industry huh. and the general public, which then led him to land the role of one of the key villains in James Cameron and Robert Rodriguez's upcoming cyberpunk anime adaptation of Alita Battle. Angel, so he's landed on his feet. That's cool. Like, and as soon as you said Deadpool, I immediately like, oh, yes, yes. I think, on the balance, two more seasons of kind of weak Dario material was probably not worth staying around for. If you could be the lead villain in, in Deadpool and work with James Cameron and, and Rodriguez, what do you think?
0: I don't know, I don't remember him in Deadpool. Well, was he all
1: cg or something no no he's, he, he's the guy to like you, yeah. this is the chief like torture and tormentor of wade uh well he didn't 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 land didn't land for for jim no yeah so. nah, he didn't stick in my mind uh sean mcgee uh on the discussion of prophecy and determinative gods i found it was interesting but i've har- uh we have hard evidence of people with predetermined fates the Green seers. By its very nature, the ability to Green Sea or Stannis seeing a great battle in the snow suggests a predetermined future. That certainly makes any plot less interesting, however. uh, Although I'm not sure why. When we start a book, it has a predetermined end and it's still interesting. Perhaps it just makes life less interesting.
0: Does it? Because we also see Brand potentially influencing the past from the future. Wouldn't that say that it's not deterministic? I'm always
1: impressed by people. Well, not impressed. I'm always surprised, I should say, that people will take pretty nebulous on screen things and then say definitively that this means this can happen and all that because like i here's my thing about destiny so jojen had a dream that he was going to die a particular way in service of a particular goal um then he went and lived his life in service of that is that his destiny or did he have a dream that he wanted to fulfill? Right. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing. Right. Right. Like, you know, once upon a time I had a dream of being a professional podcaster. Now it's happened. But <laughs> if I had been like, oh, this dream is stupid and just, and I just stayed at my job. And then like, I mean, it, it's I, I would like it like a Jonah situation where like, uh, Jojen has the dream and tries to run in the opposite direction from it, and everything returns him to the original path. Then we can start talking about definitive destiny. The Stannis thing's not persuasive because, like, clear a lot of the shit that Melisandre saw was wrong, and the stuff that was right, Stannis tried his best to fulfill in the real world and failed at it. So, like, I- I'd have to see a person getting their destiny and then bucking it. Because so far, I, I haven't seen that. I see people getting their destiny, and they see that as the call to adventure. And then sometimes they succeed, sometimes they fail. So, I don't know. Uh, I think there's still the juries out about how, how, how much fate and destiny uh, actually play in the Game of Thrones. Catherine H., um, I really love the idea that Martin not so much likes to surprise us or mess with us, but rather he's telling the hero myth just many, many years after the fact. I believe this is an idea that I originally heard floated on your podcast a while back. Well, I'm happy to take the credit. I don't I don't remember it, but uh, she continues. We think the hero is Ned or then Rob, but it's actually been John all along. The hero normally comes from a messed up childhood and has to overcome all sorts of odds and rise to be the leader. But instead of just being told that about John, we witness all the messed up stuff that happened to him to make him the hero he was in season seven. With that in mind, does that change the way you think about the first three seasons or the first few books? For me, I pay a lot of attention to the way John learns about both Ned and Rob's deaths. They are not the end of our hero stories, but rather the inciting incidents. Mm -hmm. Uh, It also lets uh, lets the show off the hook for not surprising us anymore. We are now knee-deep in typical hero myth storytelling. But I always appreciate the unusual road we took to get there. So she's saying, like, Star Wars is the hero's journey, right? But if you properly understand it, the hero's journey begins in in episode one. And here we're getting like we're the the, the first three books are essentially episodes one, two and three. And then we get started with, you know, John Skywalker. Right. uh, You know, getting his lightsaber and being and and, and, uh, being taken under the wing by by Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's a good way to look at it. it. That that. It's not so much a subversion, but Martin just really going back to first principles on this whole hero's journey thing.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I like it. Um, and it, it doesn't... Uh, I guess it doesn't dim my view of the first three seasons, uh, as you're saying here, because those seasons were also extremely interesting to watch for right. me. Uh, and yes, they might be a prelude to the real story, uh, the real hero's journey, but I'm okay with that because I had a lot of fun watching them. Yeah,
1: and like I... You know, I don't think it enhances or de-enhances because I think just a little bit of tomato, tomato too. Because whether he's subverting the conventional storytelling structure or just really being digressive in telling the hero's journey, like it's yeah. it's a little bit the same because the hero's journey does not usually belabor how the hero got to you know he, the the hero's introduced he gets his called adventure he goes on we don't need to see the right. hero being born and his his parents
0: die and his brother. F- fail and his like that would just all be we, backstory we, we do see a lot of that like specifically in star wars right his aunt and uncle are killed right uh he he's got this old wizard telling him things into right. his ear right. like all that happens, but it's so condensed it's right. like 15 minutes and it leaves out his father and mother and their tragic
1: relationship that eventually put him on that course and like it, i mean it's all alluded yeah. to
0: and it's all there the difference being in game of thrones we're shown that stuff right and then like i said you know um it's almost like exactly the same. It's just like the pre, the first
1: three prequels aren't that good, but like you can easily see the you know Game of Thrones, Clash of Kings, uh, and the Storm of Swords being the prequel trilogy that then explains how John got at the wall mm-hmm. and is in a situation where he now can be the leader, one of the two realms, yeah, one of the one of the king or queens that might save the world. Mm-hmm um but no it's it's interesting like uh looking back through the, uh, the opposite into the telescope way of looking at the story there Catherine. and that's all the feedback we got for t- uh, this week uh we will be back next week uh to are we going to have a wrap-up i think with some people have asked me this week are we gonna have a wrap-up podcast uh, uh i
0: don't think that's in the plan
1: i don't think so because here's the deal I'm coming right back in November to cover. I, I'm gonna. I, I think we're gonna have at least two, maybe three weeks of uh, f- uh, fire and blood coverage where I'm going to literally like divide that book. This is the Targaryen history into three sections, and we're gonna talk about insights. Uh, that's also around the time that my Game of Thrones book is going to be released. So uh, might have uh, my co-author Anthony uh, Ladon on to talk about that um and you know just talk over people's questions and stuff about that um so like in just a couple of months we're going to come back and then a couple of months after that i mean we, we know for a fact that game of thrones is coming back in april of next year mm-hmm. so like i don't i um i don't feel like there's a real need to like tie everything up into a nice neat bow uh because i don't feel like we're ever really going to go away so and after no. that
0: there's a new series to do. And after <laughs> so, that there'll be a new yeah. series
1: of that. So like yeah, I I don't I don't think we'll go be doing a wrap up um because you know a lot of wrap up is also a lot of just spec, you know, kind of what did we learn, mm. what's still open for next season. Well, that's that in the context of a series that's already wrapping up in season 8 that doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. So, uh, no, but we will have, we will wrap up the season next week with
0: the final episode. Yeah. And I think we're going to do a portion of what you might consider a wrap up at the end or during that podcast, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah. we'll just talk our thoughts, about our feelings on just our the thoughts. season. Maybe yeah. we can actually
1: give some thought about what the strength of the seasons overall.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah we promised that for an entire
1: do. season. Uh-huh. Um, although I'm tempted to just wait till season eight comes out and see, see what happens. But, uh, Thank you for all your feedback. Uh, Can't wait to wrap this up next week. We will see you then at that time. Until then, I'm Aaron. No, I'm Jim. Later.